Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by Daryl Reed. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. All right, well, if you are new to Breakthrough and it's the first time or you've, you've only joined us in the last five years, you might have thought, who was the stranger that launched the service this morning? Uh, he's no stranger. He's his friend and family, Carl uh, and Pam, up with, well, yeah, with us from, from Australia. They've been up for a couple couple weeks now and fly back to Australia on, on Thursday. But uh, Carl served on leadership with John and I for a number of years before they went on a journey off to Australia and are, are figuring out what the next steps look like for them. And so it's just so good to, to have you launch us into worship this morning and have you guys with us. And uh, we look forward to praying with you later on and just blessing you guys. So. And then we had outreach yesterday. Went off to uh, Baraguanath Hospital. Teams went out there going, praying for the sick. Um, and we also had teams going out treasure hunting, asking Holy Spirit to guide them, lead them to the people that he wants to minister to. And I believe there were some really, really extraordinary encounters, testimonies, miracles, healings that took place. And so when we go next time, you're invited. Come and join us as we go and bless our city, pray for our city, and uh, release hope. Our city needs hope. We are the hope carriers. So join us as we release hope. Last thing before we get into our, our message for this morning is next weekend we got Paul and Sue Manwaring with us. How many of you guys have, have heard Paul uh, speak live before? really is a, a gift to the body. Last year, around about the same time, he came and shared a message with us about us being dawn carriers. We awaken the dawn. It was just such an encouraging message for us as a local, local church. Uh, but I particularly want to uh, in, uh, invite you to Saturday morning's business breakfast. Uh, Paul has a master's degree in management from Cambridge University. He's lived in the business world for most of his life uh, in, in various sectors, and he's also worked in, in the ministry space as well. Um, he was one of the, the minds, the strategists that, that saw Bethel um, explode as he, he helped to coordinate and structure the, the wineskin to facilitate what God was doing, that they would be you know, a church that has a, a global impact and, and, and movement. And so he, he was a key figure involved in all of that. So I really want to encourage you, don't miss this opportunity. Um, he is a gift to the body and, uh, and a gift to, to business. So if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a wannabe entrepreneur, if you're in business, if you're in education, if you're in politics, if you're in economics, if you're in, uh, in medicine, Paul uh, was trained as a, as a nurse, um, initially, so he he's got such a diverse uh, range of gifting. Um, it, it really is going to be good. So, looking forward to to him sharing with us on uh, on Saturday morning, and he'll of course be with us Sunday both services. All right, you guys ready? You got your Bible open? You know where we are. We're in Philippians. We're gonna we're gonna finish chapter one this morning. We're doing a series through the book of Philippians. Um, while John and Lisa are on sabbatical. And so this morning, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 1, from verse 27, all the way down to chapter 2, verse 11. So if you've got your Bible, hopefully it's open there. Otherwise, you can follow with on screen. Let's, uh, let's read. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence... I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. There's a, a long, powerful, and incredible passage of Scripture. We're going to unpack a few things from it this morning. Are you ready? I'm going to go back to chapter 1 from verse 27 to 30. I'm going to read that, and then we'll, we'll get into a few things over here. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those people who oppose you. We'll pause over there. What we're seeing over here is... Paul's encouraging the church in, in Philippi. This is a letter from Paul to the, the church in Philippi. Uh, again, Paul is in prison in Rome while he's writing this letter to the church. And, and so he's saying to them as we get to verse 27 that we're to live a life of consistency, a, worth, a worthy life of the gospel of Christ Jesus, that your life might be worthy of the gospel. This means that we need to live a consistent life, that, you know, that we believe well. You see, if you, if you have good knowledge and believe well, you will live well, you will live right. And so if we're going to live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus, we need to think and believe well. We need to know the truth. Remember last week? Love, or two weeks ago, love and knowledge. We need knowledge to enable us to live a life worthy of the gospel. I mean, if you don't know what the gospel is, how can you live a life that's worthy of the gospel? That's pretty logical, right? It's not rocket science. And so we need to understand, we need to have a knowledge of what is the gospel, what has Jesus done for us, and what is it that our lives need to look like that we might live a life that's worthy of the gospel. And that looks like us being consistent. It looks like us being um, faithful in our serving of the Lord. See, this, this first phrase here in verse 27, it, it almost refers to us being citizens of heaven. Now, we see this later on uh, in Scripture in, uh, uh, where is it now? Uh, I forget the Scripture reference. But we're ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ, representing Him here on earth. And so we have this, this heavenly citizenship where we, we get to now represent him. And so we need to do this with consistency. See, we've been called to a really high standard, a life worthy, the gospel of Jesus. And the only way we can do that, the only way we can live a life that is worthy of the gospel is by the empowering Holy Spirit. I, uh, I had the privilege of marrying a couple yesterday, uh, part of our congregation. And, and as we're going through the marriage vows, I reminded them as we, as we you know, bring man and woman to become husband and wife, the covenant of marriage, the commitment. And I reminded them firmly, I said, as you enter into this covenant, don't forget that 364 days a year, you need to remain committed. Strong, faithful to that person you're busy marrying. You know, the 365th day, it doesn't matter. You can... I mean, I mean just think about the percentage. It's, um, someone... Do the, do the sums for me. But it's like 99 point something percent that you are faithful to your partner. Surely God's okay with you being unfaithful on one day a year, just one day a year. 
Come on. We know that that's not the truth, right? The truth is that when we enter into marriage, you are faithful every day for the rest of your lives till death do you part to that person. I don't know why when it comes to our relationship with Jesus that sometimes we think it's okay to just have a moment of not being faithful to him. You know, I've, I've been so good, Daryl. I studied the word. Daryl, I even listened to your, your message from last week again. I've been such a good Christian. Like, I've been praying more. I've been praying for my connect group like you've been encouraging us to do. I've been reading the scriptures. I've been doing all this stuff. I've been so faithful. Daryl, you won't believe it. I even at the coffee station on, on Wednesday last week, one of my work colleagues had a sore knee, and I even took a risk, and I prayed. You won't believe it. They got healed. I've been so faithful. I've been about the best Christian I've ever been in my life. Guys, but don't tell Daryl, but the, the Springboks are playing tonight. <laughs> and you know, sometimes I just, I just enjoy it so much and, and you know, I just get into the spirit of things and then, and then as I get into the spirit of things, I get so excited and, and well, well, maybe I just have a drink or three too many because, but it's the Springboks and I had such a good week and so it doesn't matter because my good behavior is gonna cover over just this moment where I just turn my back on Jesus just for a moment. Now, if we do that in marriage, we know what the outcome is. So why do we think we can do it with Jesus? Oh, we need to be consistent, faithful all of our days. Live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. It was a beautiful wedding. I, I, I took a photo for you guys. Put it up. I mean, that wasn't, we didn't get married. We've been married for long. But that's my wife and I in the mountains, other side of Dalstrom. It was far away. And, uh, and when we did the, the marriage vows, 365 days a year, every day, faithful, committed to one another. Come on. And as we're faithful and committed to one another, we serve Jesus and we're faithful and committed to him and we put him first. But you won't believe it. After the, the ceremony, they said the I do's, the husband kissed the bride. It was all official before the Lord. And then there was this thing happening, guys. It was a little bit, yo, oh, there was a burnt offering before the Lord. <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good. At that moment when I saw that glory, I thought, surely I can call in sick. They don't need me on Sunday morning. <laughs> but I didn't. I left the burnt offering and I drove home because I love you guys. <laughs> Consistency. The second thing Paul's encouraging the Philippians to do is to have cooperation, to have unity. Verse 27. I know that you will stand firm in one Spirit, that we will stand together in one spirit, that there'll be this cooperation amongst us, brethren, brothers and sisters, that there will be oneness. So we need in, in the church, here at Breakthrough, we need unity, not rivalry. Paul speaks about it earlier in the chapter, uh, about wrong and right motives for preaching the gospel. And he says, no, we need to preach the gospel with right motives, that there won't be rivalry amongst you. There's not going to be this comparison amongst you. I'll look at that person. I'll look at this person. No, we don't want comparison. We want similarity, that we're together, that we're similar. We're going after Jesus together, that we will love each other, that there won't be any unnecessary disagreement, that there's this unity. Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3, it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. 
Come on, who wants the blessing of the Lord? Who wants life forevermore? One of the keys for this is that you and I dwell together in unity, in harmony, that we love one another. We are not comparing ourselves to one another, that we're not um, having this, this rivalry and fighting and disagreements, but that together as one, as one spirit, we're moving forward. It's as if we're called to live as one body, Actually, it's what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you, you, not, not you singular, you plural, are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. It's a little bit like the band. I mean, just think for a moment what it would sound like if, if every person on the band, every instrument was just rocking out for Jesus in isolation. Each one playing their own, their own key their own rhythm, their own little frills and stuff, each one playing on a different click timer. I mean, they're rocking out for Jesus, worshiping him with all of their heart. <laughs> but it's going to be a solo experience because for the rest of us, it's just going to be a horrible, disgusting noise. You see, just as the band has to work together to flow as one, that when we come and engage in worship, participate in worship, we hear a beautiful sound and we hear it coming as one. We hear music that's beautiful. But it requires them to, to practice, to be intentional, uh, that they might be as one. And so in a similar vein, you and I, we have to be intentional about being one, operating as one. We're to live and act as one. We're to pray for each other, encourage one another, support one another. We're supposed to have this, this common purpose, this single determination to see Jesus glorified. It then says, again in verse 7, that we are to strive. No, Daryl, that's heresy. I've been told, Daryl, that you know, Christianity is, Jesus said, Daryl, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Done. Like, you just need to be. You're a human being, not a human doing. And so there's no striving in the faith. It's just, I just get to be. <laughs> Any millennials in the house? I'm a millennial. I just fit in. You know, millennials, we're the generation that we were like, we're going to change the world. And we're going to do it by sitting on our couch playing PS4. Yeah. <laughs> now, come on, if we're going to get a well done, good and faithful servant, we have to do something. We have to strive. There's stuff that we get for free, that we inherit, that we receive, that there's nothing we can do. It's a gift from the Lord. But there's other things that we need to work on. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks' time as we work out your salvation but I won't go there now. But we need to strive, we need to do something, and we need to do this together. There's things that we need to intentionally do that we might be as one spirit, striving for the sake of the gospel for Jesus. So we need to have consistency, a life worthy of the gospel. We need to be in unity, cooperation, and we need to have confidence. We covered this a little bit last week as well. It's been granted to us not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. And so we can have confidence in Christ despite what we face, that we will be saved, is what the scripture says there. We will be saved. But it does also say, I read it very quickly because I didn't want to let that sword hurt too much. <laughs> it's been granted to us that we might believe and that we might suffer. The, the scripture says, John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. That's Jesus' words. We're going to have trouble in the world. But he carries on, he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We then see in Romans eight thirty-seven that we are more than conquerors. And so there's going to be some difficulty. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some suffering. But in the midst of that, know that he's overcome the world. Know that he's making you more than a conqueror. And know this, 
that as you're going through that difficult situation, as it feels like you're, you're suffering, it's only on this side of eternity that we get to turn our heart's affection to Him and worship Him from a place of difficulty, from a place of suffering. See, on the other side of eternity in heaven, none of these difficulties and suffering and trials and tribulations exist anymore. It's all done away with. And so it's only on this side of eternity that we get to offer up to Him this fragrant offering, this sacrificial offering of worship from a place of difficulty. That's a beautiful thing that we get to do. It really is. And so as you're going through seasons where it feels like you're suffering, I want to encourage you in those moments, those moments that feel difficult, that feel hard, where you feel down, you feel broken, you feel like Jesus is far away. It's in those moments. Turn your heart's affection to him and say, you are good. And I want my life to be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus, despite what I'm going through. Because we're going to see a little bit later this morning what Jesus went through. He suffered. So there'll be some suffering for us too. You know, we just need to look at the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, to see that, that, that worship was almost always involved or there was sacrifice involved. See, sacrifice and worship have always been, been linked. And so why do we think it's, it's any different now? And so there's a beauty in our sacrificial worship unto him. We can have confidence in him no matter what we're going through. He is good. He's overcome the world. Chapter 2. We made it. Come on. Let's have a read here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being with Christ. Let me just pause over there. Is it possible to not have encouragement from being with Christ? It's like, no, he's not saying like, if you have encouragement from being with Jesus. Like, I mean, it happens, you know, I know only lottery times, you know, one in a million of you with Jesus that he happens to encourage you. No, that's not what Paul's saying. He's speaking like hypothetically, of course you've got encouragement from being with Jesus. So let's carry on here. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. All right, as we start chapter 2, it starts with an important word, and that word is therefore. And as John would, would teach us if he was here, whenever we see a therefore, we need to ask why it is therefore. And so let's study as to why the therefore is therefore. And the therefore is there for everything that Paul said in the previous chapter. So let's see if I can cover about two hours of teaching in about 60 seconds to bring us up to speed so we know what the therefore was there for. Are you ready? This is Philippians chapter 1, two weeks ago and last week. We are to be grateful in prayer that we're to have a heart attitude of thanksgiving towards one another. We're to pray for one another. We are to defend and to confirm the gospel. That is our calling. It's our mandate. It's our responsibility. Defend and, conform, and confirm. We are to abound in love and in knowledge. And as we abound in both love and knowledge, what happens? Can anyone remember? The result is that we live a life of discernment in the Holy Spirit. We live a life of purity and we live a life of fruitfulness. Can anyone remember all of this? <laughs> Is anyone with me? Love, knowledge, the result, discernment, purity, fruitfulness. We are to know that as we live a life of discernment, purity, and fruitfulness, that 
Jesus is with us and the outcomes will be deliverance, salvation from the Lord. There are godly outcomes that are coming as we walk in his steps, as we follow him. We know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We know that life is in him and in the absence of Jesus there is no life. That to die is gain because we're in even closer fellowship with him. We are, we are to know that there is a blessing. We are to be a blessing to others. That's what we're called to do. That we are to progress in faith and joy. Progress doesn't take place on your couch playing PS4. It requires some striving. But we are to progress faith and joy. That we are to bring glory to Jesus. That is what the therefore is there for. As we carry on now in chapter 2, Paul's now taking all of that that we've just covered and he's now saying, now there's four more realities that you experience. That first reality is that you have encouragement in Jesus. Come on, have you ever had an encounter with Jesus where you are not encouraged? Because if you did, then I want to tell you it wasn't Jesus or something else. Because when we encounter Jesus... He encourages us. He moves us. We get courage from him. We get comfort from his love. This is a reality that we experience. His love comforts us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we see that again, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. You see, he is the comforter and our comfort abounds in him. When we're with him, when we're in his presence, he comforts us. He comforts us with his love. The third thing is we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's where we were this morning in worship, as Chris was saying, as uh, Carl was saying, Holy Spirit's here. He wants us to be with him he wants to meet with us. He wants us to encounter his presence. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to guide us, to lead us individually and corporately. The fourth experiential reality from all of this is that there's a tenderness and a compassion from the Lord. And what Paul's saying is in the same vein as that the Lord is tender and compassionate towards you, now you do the same for others. Treat them with tenderness and with compassion. And so because of what we have, all of that that we've just covered, he says, now make my joy complete. And in verse 2 of chapter 2, it says that we are to be like-minded. Again, speaking about unity. Can you see the circular thought that's taking place here as we see Paul touching on the same topics in different ways? And so he's coming back around again. He's touching on unity once again. But this time he's touching on unity from a, a thinking perspective, that we ought to be like-minded. See, when it comes to our, our theology, we need to find agreement and unity on the core theological stances. We need to be as if we are one mind when it comes to these things. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, salvation, all of these core things we need to have united mind. Paul's talking about our attitude. Our attitude is that we, we seek unity. We don't seek disunity because sometimes this happens in the body. You find a random, obscure verse that's, that's relevant in a very particular application. And then we take that verse and we, we create some weird theology of your own to try and make yourself look cool and amazing because you're preaching the gospel not out of a position of love but of comparison and rivalry and with the wrong motive. And then we get this concocted, strange theology which is not healthy. And so we're looking to elevate ourselves instead of looking to elevate Jesus. No, we need to put those things aside. We need to let go of our Facebook rants about our theological stances, about what we think is this and that and positions on this and that. And, and we need to find unity. Let's not be ones that, 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 that sow discord and disunity. Let's be a people 
of unity, as we find agreement with one another, as we are one-minded, that we will have like-minded thinking. You know, it's a little bit like if you're at the braai and you're watching the boka, but you then find out that the, the stranger who you've never met before, that they support the same local rugby team as you. And it's like, not only do we have the Springboks in common, but now we also realize that we're both Lion supporters. Ne, Francois? <laughs> and you're strangers you've never met before, but as soon as you realize, oh, we've got a common interest, a common support for something other, there's all of a sudden this attraction, this connection. I want to be with him. I don't want to be with the, the bulls or the stormers or the sharks. I want to be with the lion supporters. <laughs> Come on, whether it's soccer, whether it's uh, whatever sport you watch, whether it's bands or music, and you find that there's a common interest, a common like with a stranger, all of a sudden there's this connection point. See, I want to tell us that we have something in common. His name is Jesus. Our common love for Jesus should bring and pull us together. It should unite us that we will be one, like-minded in love, in attitude, in approach. So there's a unity in our attitude. The second thing Paul then says, because of all of this stuff, that there should be humility. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. We're going to look at Jesus in a few verses' time and, and how he approached this whole thing. But we are to live a life of humility, a humble approach to life. I mean, let's come back to the bride with the spring box. We all love that arrogant person, don't we? The arrogant person that knows exactly who the starting 15 should be for the Springboks. The arrogant person that knows exactly who should be playing in what position that, that really should be in the coach's seat. I mean, really, let's be honest. That arrogant person, he should be the person sitting in the coach's seat telling the box what to do because that person knows better. That person knows better than the referee, better than even the the. the third umpire, what do we call it in rugby again? <laughs> that person knows better. They know the rules better than the, the ref. That person, we love that person. We all want that person at our bra, right? <laughs> like, come on, let's be real now. We're like, ah, oh. that, that person, that arrogant person says, hey, hey, Daryl, where are you watching the spring box tonight? Oh, you know, I'm just, um, did you hear, did, did you hear so-and-so is having a party? You should, I, th I th did you not get the invite? You should go and talk to them. I'm sure you're invited to their bride to watch the Springboks. <laughs> Come on, because we don't want to be in the presence of someone that has a very arrogant approach to life, right? I know I'm making light of this, but the, the point is that when we approach life from a position of humility, people are attracted to you. They want to spend time with you. They enjoy being in your presence. But when we're arrogant know-it-alls, well, the reality is no one wants to really be with you. No one wants to be your friend. We need to approach life from a position of humility with one another and primarily humility before the Lord. You see, when we approach the Lord from a position of humility, it's, it's, it's demonstrating our dependence upon Him. Now, if I'm arrogant, well, I don't need Jesus. I can do this all by myself. God, have you seen my bank balance? Have you seen what car I drive? Do you see the, the description under my mailer? CEO, papi. <laughs> Come on. Humility with one another before the Lord. God, I need you. The description under your email might read CEO and praise God for that. But as you approach life with humility, saying, God, thank you for this position you've placed me in, but I need you, God. I cannot do this without you, God. I need your guidance. I need your leading. I need your Holy Spirit in my business, and I cannot do this without you, God. Come. And you know what? He comes, and he answers, and he moves, and he sees you thrive. We're going to see that in a few moments' time. Unity, our attitude. 
Humility is our self-assessment. Let's just touch on this for a moment. As we, as we look to ourself, how am I doing? Because if we're going to progress, if we're going to be striving, well, we need to have some kind of self-assessment. And I want to say never, ever do self-assessment in the absence of the Holy Spirit. Because in the absence of the Holy Spirit, when you do self-assessment, then you open the door for the devil to come in and speak to you. And he tells you, you are rotten. You're a sinner. Look at all the mistakes you made. You're a good-for-nothing rascal. You shouldn't even be where you are. That's what happens when we do self-assessment in the absence of Holy Spirit. And so we need to have self-assessment. We need to have introspection. God, how am I doing in life? God, am I growing? Am I progressing in faith and in joy? Help me, Holy Spirit. Show me how can I progress further. But we do that in the presence of Holy Spirit. Don't ever do that in the absence of Holy Spirit because that's then when the, the voice of the enemy comes in and he tries to lead you astray. So we see this unity and attitude. We see humility, our self-assessment and our approach. And then thirdly, we see unselfishness, our aim. This should be our aim. Verse 3 and 4, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Oh. It's like this one, Paul puts the knife in and he twists it. It's like, oh, the word cuts deep and it's sore and I need it because I need it to cut away the things that are not of him. Oh, this is challenging scripture, this, isn't it? Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Oh man, this convicts me, this challenges me, this hurts me <laughs> in a good way. Because it stirs me to say, Jesus, I need to become more like you. God, there's still stuff in my heart, in my life, where I still put myself first and I don't care or put others' concerns above me. God, I need to grow more. I need to progress more in faith and in joy and in you. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me, Holy Spirit. You see, a life of sin leads to self-gratification. I want to please myself, make myself feel good, get the latest fix. That's what a life of sin leads to. Whereas a life of sacrificial obedience to Jesus leads to Jesus being glorified. Sin, self-glorification, gratification. Sacrificial obedience, a life worthy of the gospel. Jesus gets glorified. And how does this happen? You know, we, we live a selfish life, and then at night when we go to, go to bed, we pray a prayer, and we say, Jesus, thank you in the morning when I wake up. All of my own selfish desires will be gone, and that I will live a life where I put others first. In humility. Amen. And then you wake up on Monday morning and it's like, boom, all of your desires just whew, disappeared. Come on, we all know that that's not our reality. The reality is that this is part of our working out our salvation. This is part of us progressing. This is part of us growing. This is part of us striving. Jesus, I need to become more like you because I know that I have a responsibility to be a blessing to those around about me. And to do that, I need to grow. I need to mature. I need to become more like you. It doesn't happen by just waking up in the morning and all of a sudden, whoop, oh, look at that, you're changed. No, it looks like you're starting. You know, your, the desire to put someone else's needs above yours doesn't just happen. No, it starts with you making a choice. I'm going to choose to serve. Sunday morning, I'm going to choose to get up early and to be in the parking lot and to welcome and usher in 
uh, everyone as they arrive at church in the parking lot because I'm going to serve on the parking team because that's the way that I get to express my servanthood, putting others' needs above my own. It starts with small little details like this. And as we do these small things day after day after day, as we have these small victories, then we continue to grow and progress and become more like him, that we reach a point where it becomes easier and easier to value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. It's a servant's heart. Verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, do not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, let's have a look here at what is the mindset of Christ Jesus. Now, this is God. Jesus is God. Scripture says he was with God at the beginning. When the creation of the earth, Jesus was there. He's God. And how does he choose to come to earth? Now, this is God. He could have chosen to be born in the the wealthiest family on the face of the earth at that time. He could have chosen that. He could have have chosen to be an earthly king. He could have chosen anything he wanted, but, but how did he come? He came to this unknown little town, this unknown family, to be born in a place of lack as he humbly comes in, as he lays aside all of his God-given rights, humbly he comes as a man. See, Jesus had every reason to have entitlement when he walked the face of the earth, and yet we see him never using it. See, in the same way that we love the arrogant person, we love the entitled person just as much, don't we? It's my right. I deserve. No, we don't. Humility doesn't have entitlement in it. And so we see in these verses, we see two things. We see what Jesus did do, and we see what Jesus did not do. So what Jesus did not do is he didn't take advantage of his divine right. He didn't take advantage of his right to get whatever he wanted. He came in low as a man. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes it's tempting to pull on one another with a little bit of exploitation taking place. See, Jesus didn't exploit his position as God. No, he laid it aside. But you know, Sunday morning when you arrive at church and um, (laughs) you realize that the person in the chair next to you, that they run a pool cleaning company and you've got a pool at home and your pool is is greener than your grass. Now, you've been working hard to get your, your garden lawn green, but it still is beige. And you've been working hard to get your pool blue, but your, your pool is green. And it's like, we need, we need a swap around you. Something needs to happen. You've put in all the chemicals you know how to throw in, but your pool's still green. And now the person sitting next to you, they got a pool cleaning. And, and so you say, you run a pool cleaning? You won't believe. I've tried so many things. And What would you suggest? How should I do this? And they start explaining. And then you think, I, oh, no, can you explain that again? And the next thing, you, you're having coffee together and the person's saying, you know what, let me, let me rather just come to your house and I'll put the chemicals in for you, okay? Don't worry. <laughs> and what we've found we've done is we've, we've subtly, perhaps even subconsciously, but we've exploited our relationship. You see, in the same way that Jesus didn't exploit his position, so we shouldn't exploit our relationship with one another. I find, I find Christians, I, feel, I find we do this a lot, especially in the business world. Oh, I think that's one of the reasons why we have such a bad reputation when it comes to doing business because we, we're so accustomed to exploiting one another because, you know, well, this is, a, this is a fellow brother or sister and so they need to give me a good deal because I'm a brother and sister too. Entitlement. 
knocking on the door. No, don't do that. What should our approach be? Oh man, I'm doing business with a brother, with a sister. Let me be a blessing to them because that's what it said earlier on in the verse that I might be a blessing to those around about me. So when we do business with one another, we should never come at it with an approach or perspective of I'm going to get a good deal. No, our approach should be I'm going to give a good deal. And if the other person doesn't give a good deal, then that's okay. Pay what it's, what it's worth. Humble, not entitled, not arrogant. Jesus didn't exploit his position. He came in low. What did Jesus do? He didn't exploit, but he did walk in obedience. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, verse 7 and 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus made himself nothing. He became a servant. He lived a life of obedience, even to death. Let's have a look at this very quickly. We'll look at Adam, Adam and Eve, Adam, first man. See, Adam made in the image of God, but what did he do? Try to use his position to become like God as he took the temptation. Jesus did the opposite. We see Adam turned aside from being God's servant by trying to become like God. What did Jesus do? He was God. He laid it aside to become a servant. We look at Adam. What did he do? He exalted himself. I want to be like God. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself. What did Adam do? Adam's disobedience led to death for the human race. What did Jesus do? His obedience led to death for him, but life for the whole world. This is Jesus. Adam banished from paradise. Jesus, highly exalted king of the universe. See, Jesus came and laid aside his divinity to become a man. He became like us. And he became like us to show us that we can become like him. Let me say that again. Jesus became like us to show us that we can become like him. As we get into verse 9 to 11, as we bring this to a close. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The worship team didn't know that I was preaching on this today. And they chose that song that we would end our worship. No other name. Jesus. Isn't it beautiful how the Holy Spirit works and coordinates and guides us. Again, we see a therefore. We need to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? The therefore is therefore because Jesus, the context of what we just covered, humbled himself, became nothing, became a servant, became a man. Jesus humbles himself. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. You see, there's a reward for Jesus that Father gives as Jesus comes in humbly. Father God exalts him. He rewards him. He blesses him. He gives him the position that he was created to be in. Well, he was never created. Forgive me. He always was God. And so we get, to, we get to live a life because one day when Jesus comes again, every knee will bow, every tongue will acknowledge and confess that he is Lord. And until that day, we get to live a life where we strengthen, we encourage, we love, we live in unity, love, knowledge, discernment, purity, fruitfulness, where we boldly, where we courageously preach the gospel with confidence that we might bring others in, that they might bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We get to do this 
while we wait for that glorious day when Jesus will return again. And so let's do that work. Let's progress in faith and in joy that more and more will come into the kingdom because this is what we're called to do. And as we do that, as we live a life of gospel sacrificial obedience where we put others' needs above our own, you know, in the same way that Jesus, as he humbles himself, gets rewarded, in the same way as we live a life of sacrificial gospel obedience, as we humble ourselves, there's rewards for us as well. Sometimes those rewards are on this side of eternity, but many of them are on the other side of eternity. We'll get them on the other side. But as we close, look at this. Jesus humbles himself. Father God exalts him. What does Jesus do? Turns it all back to the Father. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbles. Father exalts Jesus. Puts him in that position. Name above every other name. Every knee bow, every tongue confess. And what does Jesus do with the reward? Father God, as we live a life of gospel obedience, as we humble ourselves, as we are obedient to his guidance, his leading, there will be rewards. He will reward you. And what do you do when, when he picks you up and when he lifts you up and when he puts you in a position of influence and authority because he's rewarding you for what you've done? What do you do with that reward? My precious. No. Give it all back to Father. Give it all back to him because he's worthy. Won't you stand with me? As we close our service, I'm going to invite our ministry teams to come up to the front. They'll be available to pray for you if you have any prayer need, if you need healing in your body, if you're looking for a job, if you need a financial breakthrough, um, if you're just feeling like that truth hurt you and you just say, God, I need, to, I need to live a life that's worthy of the gospel and I just want to agree with someone, then, then come forward. We'd love to pray with you and just minister with you, uh, minister to you. Uh, any other prayer that you have, the team will be up front here as we, as we close, this, close the service. If you're visiting with us for the first time, please do join us at our visitor center downstairs. Otherwise, for the rest of us, there'll be tea and coffee. But as we close, uh, I want to close with this benediction from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. So why don't you put your hands out to receive this from the Lord. It says, May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.